You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, I don't know about you guys. I know some of you may experience this, but there are times for me that I might be in the middle of having a conversation, and yes, it might even be with one of you, or maybe I'm in the middle of a meeting or whatever, and this thought hits me. What were we talking about? Like, how, how, how did we get on this subject? This happens in staff meeting pretty much every time we have staff meeting. Um, I don't know if that's you or not. And you, you, I know some of you, you're going, that's old, that you're getting old, Brian. No, 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 no. Uh, that may be your deal. I think for me, it's just how you start chasing a rabbit, you know, and get off subjects, a personality thing. If you want to go with the old thing for yourself, that's fine. But I'm sticking to my story. One of the things I love about Paul, and in particular in the letter to the Galatians, is Paul never does this. He never gets off point. Uh, Paul never loses his focus on why he's writing this letter. And so I thought that this morning might be a good occasion for us to kind of do the whole, now what were we talking about again in regards to this letter? How, how did we get here? What was Paul driving home? Um, let's let's kind of give a bit of a refresher. There's this area called Galatia. Um, today, it's probably somewhere around what we would consider southern Turkey. And Paul traveled there, and uh, it's a region with a lot of different cities in it, cities that if you read through the scriptures, they're called like Iconium, Lystra, Derby. And um, Paul goes there and preaches the gospel. And many people respond to the gospel. Most of those people are what we would call Gentiles. And the Gentiles are the people that the Jews said, you have no part in God's inheritance. You don't get to be part of this. We're God's chosen people. And then Christ dies and rises from the dead and the church begins and something different seems to happen. But so Gentiles all throughout the the area of Galatia uh, become Christians, and churches are planted and started. Well, after Paul leaves there, some Judaizers come in, and these are people who they may or may not believe that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he did. Um, whether or not they believe in Christ, they also still believe that you still have to have the law, you still have to obey the law in order to be saved. And so they're coming in and they're essentially preaching to these Gentiles who they've come to faith in Christ, faith alone in Jesus, everything's going great. And now they're being told, oh, you don't just need to be a Christian, you also need to be a Jew. Because the Judaizers did not have, honestly, a proper understanding of the law or the promise. And so Paul writes this letter to clear up this deceit that has got the the Galatians reeling mentally, emotionally, spiritually. They've been kind of deceived. And this morning, we're going to start here in Galatians chapter 4, the last part of Galatians chapter 4. And in this, as Paul begins this section of the letter in verse 21, he begins by addressing those who want to be what he calls under the law. Look with me at Galatians 4 verse 21. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now, when Paul says under the law, what he is saying is he's not talking about somebody who 
wants to obey the law. That pretty much should still be all of us. We still read the, the Ten Commandments and we go, yeah, I'm pretty much supposed to do these things. This is God's standard. What Paul is talking about are those who are still relying on their obedience to the law to make them right with God, to earn them acceptance with God that they don't already have in Christ. All right. And Paul is not talking, uh, again, about just obedience, but relying on that obedience. This is what today we would call legalism. All right. This is the belief system that says that the way to God, the way to salvation, the way to God's acceptance, the way to God's approval, the the way to getting to him in, in a way that I can't simply through Christ by obeying the rules. All right. The rules are going to get me closer to God than I already am. Okay. Now, when you get a letter, um, you kind of want to know that the person, if they're writing to you to give you advice or encouragement or whatever, do they have any credibility to make these statements? It's important to, to remember that Paul, in addressing legalism, that before Paul's salvation, Paul was the chief legalist. This is the guy who said, I was the Jew of Jew, the Pharisee of Pharisees. If anybody knew how to keep the rules, it was me. And so Paul's not pointing a finger at something he doesn't know about. He knows all about it. All right. So he opens up by addressing the Judaizers. Those of you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Here's what he just said. Hey, all of those of you who you still think that you want to live under the law, do you actually know what it says? Because here's the thing, if you really honestly knew what it said and you understood it, you would not want to be underneath it because you would understand that it's going to crush you. And in fact, the law that you say that you follow, it actually contradicts what you preach. Well, what were they preaching? We looked at this a few weeks ago, this encounter that Jesus had in John chapter 8 gives us a window into this. If you look back with me in John 8, verse 31, this is actually not an encounter with the Judaizers or even with the Pharisees or somebody. This is with, as it says in verse 31, some Jews who believed in Jesus. All right? So these were some Jews who believed that Jesus is who he says he is, and they're, they're wanting to follow him. Jesus says to them, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We hear that and we go, amen, I want some of that. Well, they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham. We're Abraham's people, Jesus. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say, how is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus responds to them, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. These Jews were still believing that it had something to do with who their mama was or who their descendants were or where they came from. And Jesus is saying, no, that this is not about the slavery in Egypt. This is about slavery to sin. Okay. You're not understanding all of this. But so their response is, we're descendants of Abraham. Well, go back into Galatians and what Paul is getting ready to say to the Judaizers who would also say, we're descendants of Abraham. He's about to level them with this. Actually, you're not. You think you are, 
but you're not. So what does Paul do to address this? He goes back to the story of Abraham. Why not? But another reason I believe that he does this, he does it because where else would you go to refute this? He also does it because it's almost certain that the Judaizers would have come in and began preaching this story of Abraham to the Galatians to say to them, if you don't obey the whole of the law of Moses, you cannot be a descendant of Abraham. And Paul is going to take that idea and turn it upside down on its head. So let's start back. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Paul says, tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. I think it's really important at this juncture to make sure that we all remember this story of Abraham so we understand what Paul's talking about. God comes to Abraham and makes this covenant with him. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. And that obviously means you're going to have descendants. You got to have what? You got to have a son. So I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to bless your descendants. I'm going to bless the world, save the world. In fact, through you, your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Awesome. When God makes this covenant with Abraham, you'll remember Abraham falls into a deep sleep and it is God, the one who passes through the sacrifice to say to Abraham, yes, the covenant is between you and me, but I am the one who is going to fully and completely fulfill it. It's all dependent on me. So great, Abraham shares with his wife, Sarah, the covenant God has made with him. Well, Sarah reminds Abraham, there's a bit of a problem with this. Not only am I 75, I'm barren. Abraham, I don't know if you remember, but you and I, we've never had kids. It's not that we haven't tried, but we've never had any. So the whole descendants thing, God must not be thinking straight here. So Sarah decides, I think God is going to need my help. She comes up with a plan. She has a servant who is young, beautiful, can have children evidently, and her name is Hagar, Egyptian slave. Abraham, I'm going to give you my slave. Now we're hearing this and we're going, that is not right. That's probably not what God wants. I'm, I'm hoping that you're thinking that. But sadly, that's common practice in, in that day and time. It was not unheard of at all. I can't have children. I'm going to give my husband my slave. We'll have children through her. So in some sort of moment of idiocy, Abraham decides, okay, sounds good. Let's go forward with your plan. And so Sarah gives Abraham her servant. So Hagar becomes pregnant. When she does, and I'm not joking when I say this, this is like a soap opera. When she becomes pregnant, she begins to look at Sarah with contempt. Why? Well, because I'm having his child and he still loves you. And so Sarah, because of this, begins to treat Hagar harshly. And she flees, she runs. 
But God comes and finds Hagar and ministers to her and says, um, I am going to take care of you. You are going to have a son. I am going to bless him in his own right. Go back. And so she goes back and she has a son and his name is Ishmael. And Ishmael is the son that Paul refers to when he says is the son of the slave woman born of the flesh. What does he mean by born of the flesh? He means exactly what he's saying, that Ishmael was born the way every child on earth is born. Man, woman, pregnant, child. We're going to leave it at that. Abraham is 86 years old. Okay. Well, a few years later, Abraham is 99. And God comes and God says, Abraham, that covenant we made, I'm still all about the covenant. But understand, when I make a covenant, I fulfill it my way, not yours, mine. And I'm going to use supernatural means to do it. I told you you were going to have a son. And when I said that, I meant through your wife. And so she is going to become pregnant. Well, Abraham and Sarah both at different times kind of have a laugh about this. They do. You know, God must be crazy. He's forgetting how old we are, what we've been through. It's not going to happen. Well, of course, at age 90, Sarah becomes pregnant. And she has a son. And they name him Isaac, which in case you didn't know, means laughter. They name him Isaac. And he was, as the Apostle Paul puts it, the son of the free woman, born of a promise born of the promise. Why was Isaac born of the promise? Well, because this child was born through supernatural means. This child was born by the miraculous hand of God intervening. Sarah could not have a child. Well, now she can. Here's why it's important to understand this. The Jews, the Judaizers, they fully believed that that was their inheritance. We're children of Abraham and Isaac. Okay, so look with me. Paul has said, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. Paul is not saying that the story of Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, Sarah, Hagar, that it's an allegory. He's not saying that at all. It is an absolute story from history, real people, real events. But what he is saying is we can look at this story allegorically. We can take the events and the people within this story and allow them to represent something else. So here he goes. These two women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. What happened at Mount Sinai? God gave the law. And while the people of God had just been freed from actual slavery in Egypt, they've now been given the law and discover we're still slaves, but not to Pharaoh, to sin. We are slaves to sin. And this is who Hagar represents. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above, not Mount Sinai, but let's say Mount Zion, the Jerusalem above, the heavenly Jerusalem is free and she is our mother. 
For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. This is Paul quoting Isaiah 54. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. The woman who is barren, she will have exponentially more children than the woman who is not. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that t- as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. You see, after Isaac was born, Sarah at one point witnessed Ishmael mocking him, persecuting him. And what Paul is saying here is that those who choose to live in spiritual slavery will always wind up persecuting those who are living in spiritual freedom. It sounds ridiculous and twisted, but it always seems to work that way. Verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Is your head spinning yet? This is a lot. This is a story that Paul gets to allegorize. We don't. But we have the ability to look at what Paul said and go, okay. Paul, as, as numerous times already through the letter to the Galatians, is saying, you have to choose. You have to choose. Do you want to live under the law or do you want to live by the promise? Do you want to live as a slave or do you want to be free? Here's the difference. Here's the allegorical interpretation. For the sake of of many of you who may be like me, if I can see it rather than just hear it, it helps me. We got this little chart. Maybe this will help you as it does me. Paul says there are these two women and they represent two covenants. First, there is Hagar. She had a son named Ishmael. He is a child of the flesh, born of the flesh, okay? Now, he is the persecutor. He will always persecute the free one. Hagar's children, they are slaves. They are still living under the law. Hagar represents Mount Sinai, where the law was given, and God's people discover, oh my, we're still, in fact, slaves, She represents the earthly Jerusalem, which represents Judaism, which also obviously represents the Judaizers. And this is the old covenant. This is saying, I'm going to die right here at the foot of Mount Sinai. But the good news is there was another woman and her name was Sarah. And her son's name is Isaac. And he was born of the promise. He wasn't the persecutor. He was the persecuted. His children are the free ones. And I'm hoping that you're maybe beginning to see that this kind of sounds like somebody else here. Um, Her home represents the heavenly Jerusalem. Again, not Mount Sinai, but Mount Zion. Mount Sinai is where the law was given and, and we became slaves. We realized we were slaves. Mount Zion, the law, the promise, and all of it are fulfilled when Christ returns. And Paul obviously would say that he and all of us who follow Jesus our children of Sarah, of the new covenant. So the false teachers 
they came and they would say, great that you believe in Jesus, fantastic. But until you understand that you must obey the whole of the law, you cannot be a descendant of Abraham. That's not for you. And Paul is saying wrong, wrong, wrong. In fact, the instant that you believe in Jesus Christ, you become a descendant of Abraham. And in fact, the moment that you begin thinking or go back to thinking that you have to obey the law to earn something with God, his love, his approval or acceptance that you don't already have in Christ, you cease being a descendant of Abraham. Paul saying to the Judaizers and to any of the Galatians who are choosing to follow the deception of the Judaizers, if you choose to live under the law, you are not the descendants of Abraham or Isaac that you think you are or that you claim to be. And in fact, you are the descendants and the offspring of Ishmael. And believe me when I tell you, that that would have been an incredibly inflammatory and provocative thing for Paul to say to the Judaizers. And Paul knew that full well. He is saying to them, you are children of the flesh. You are still in slavery and bondage. You are cursed and you are to be cut off and cast out just like the son of the slave woman. Paul is trying to get a rise. Paul is trying to wake somebody up and say, I don't think you understand what you're messing with here. I don't think that you understand what you're claiming to actually want to live under. By giving Hagar to Abraham, do you understand what Sarah was doing? Sarah was saying that in some shape, form, or fashion, the covenant God made is dependent on me. And Abraham, by taking Hagar was relying on his own works and believing that now somehow the covenant God made between himself and Abraham, that it was dependent on him. And again, you remember what God did when he made this covenant with Abraham. That he made it in such a way that Abraham understood, this is between you and me, but it's fully dependent on me. God was saying, Abraham, this is on me. Abraham chose to work to gain a son. He chose to believe I have to have, like, I've got to come up with something here that God obviously hasn't thought through. He had faith in these moments, but his faith is actually in himself at this point. And because of this, he had a son named Ishmael, and Ishmael brought division to his family. Ishmael did become the father of the Arabs. God did bless him, but who he wound up becoming the father of was the law reliers, the people who were outside of God's people. And Paul is saying anyone relying on their works to save them, anyone relying on their works or their own efforts to earn acceptance with God that they don't already have in Jesus Christ is spiritually a descendant of Ishmael. And if you are descendant of Ishmael, you are a slave. You're a slave. Why is it so important for us to understand this allegory plopped in the middle of the letter to the Galatians? 
Here's why. Because the slave son always winds up feeling like an illegitimate son. The slave son is always going to wind up feeling like an illegitimate son. I didn't say that he was an illegitimate son. But he's always going to feel that. The slave son, any child that feels illegitimate, any child that feels unwanted or cast out by their father is going to ultimately wind up living and drowning in insecurity. And see, again, these, these events happen to teach us spiritually and help us understand that this whole idea of living as the slave, this is poisonous to our relationship with our heavenly father. Why? Well, because what happens is a lot of us, we, we start walking through life and while we believe that we have the justification of the judge, we just can't seem to believe that we have the full and complete acceptance of the father. And that's what we'd so desperately long for. Let me help you wrap your head around this. Kids, kids don't sit in class and daydream about the judge coming and picking them up. Or, or, or today, my son is not going to want the judge to show up at our front door and take him fishing. They don't want the judge to coach their soccer team. Now, if any of you are a judge, my apologies, but hey, I'm just telling you. They don't want the judge to take them out for pizza. They don't want to talk over dinner with the judge. You know who they want. They, they want their father. They want their dad to take them fishing. They want their dad to just tell them, you are awesome. I don't know what it is that you're going to do, but you put your mind to it. You're going to do it. Children want to know they have the acceptance of their father. Sons just long for their dad. And see, we need the justification of the judge. Don't get me wrong. But what you and I desperately long for is the acceptance of the father. I'm 43 and a half. We'll throw the half in there. If I could just do something for like 30 minutes with my dad again, I'd take it. I hate fishing, just telling you. I'd go fishing with him though, because he hated it too. We would just enjoy hating it together. I would love to be able to call my dad on the phone and just tell him what I'm laboring through. Because he wouldn't say, all right, I'll pray for you, Brian. He'd just actually start praying for me. I would love to sit at the dinner table and laugh with my dad again. We did more laughing than eating. And we did some eating. We long for, for that. And we, we long for it even more with our Heavenly Father. And I'm going to tell you, I, went, I walked back through um, this sermon series so far. I do not believe that I have preached a sermon in this series that we have not wound up in Romans chapter 8. 
It's like Paul just knew, I'm just going to link these two suckers together. But look with me again, and this will not be the last time. In Romans chapter 8, what Paul says in verse 14, I want you to grab why this is so important. Romans 8, 14, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as son. And that spirit cries out from within each one of us, Abba, Father. The spirit cries out from within us toward God, Daddy. But I don't know if you miss what Paul said there at the beginning of verse 15. He said that if you and I, if we choose to live as a slave, we will not be living as a son. And and if we choose to live as a slave, then we will walk in what Paul calls the spirit of slavery. And if we choose to walk in the spirit of slavery, we're going to actually wind up falling back into something else. Did you see what it is? You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. When we walk as slaves, we walk in the spirit of slavery. And when we walk in that spirit, we always wind up living in fear. Fear of what? Fear of the idea of losing or maybe never even having the approval of the Father. Some of us may wind up fearing being cast out of or even contrary to that, some of us may even wind up fearing being brought into the presence of God. Some of us fear being cast out of it. Some of us fear being brought into it because we think maybe he will go back up onto that stand, put that robe back on, pick that gavel back up and slam it back down and say, I've changed my mind. You are condemned. And it's because we are not living as a son And Paul's trying to tell the Galatians and he's trying so desperately hard to tell us all the religion and the rules in the world cannot buy you that freedom. Only Jesus Christ can. And only faith can lay hold of that. The law could not redeem you. Only the promise could. And so here we are again, Romans chapter 8. Just drive yourself back over to verse 1 and and let's look at it again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. And so, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, back to Galatians chapter 4, verse 31, Paul is saying to you and to me, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Are we living like it? Are you still living imprisoned under the rules that if I don't obey, God is going to strike me down. God is going to be angry with me. God is going to rebuke me. If you are, you are not living in Colossians 3.3 that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in Christ you and I might become the righteousness of God. Are you resting in the gospel? 
But see, the other side of that is that doesn't mean we just, oh, so I can just walk on and not worry about sin. No, 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 no. If we're no longer slaves to sin, that means that you and I can walk in victory over sin. And we can, in victory, repent of sin. Are we walking in that freedom? Let me close by saying this. God looks down on two women. One of them young, beautiful, fertile. The other one, barren and old. And what does God do? God does what only God can do. God chooses to fulfill his promise and save the world through the barren and old one. In a way that only God could do that. And she has a son and his name is Isaac. And the Lord asked Abraham, Isaac's father, to take him and lay him on an altar and sacrifice him. And Abraham faithfully willingly, obediently led his son to that altar. But God spared Isaac's life. Well, many, many years later, through Sarah's family, another woman would have a son. Her name was Mary. And she, like Sarah was not in any way expecting to become pregnant or have a child, not because she was barren and old, but because she's not even married yet, and I'm a virgin, and hmm, I don't know how that's going to work, Lord. But she has a son, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus' father asked him to take his own life and lay it down. And like Abraham, Jesus was faithful and willing and obedient. But unlike Isaac, his life was not spared. And he went to the cross and he bore our sin and our shame. And because of his death and his resurrection, you and I now are free. We're free. Are we living that way? Let's live as people who know I am no longer condemned, but I have been set free in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we... We just thank you that you have always known what you're doing, how you're going to do it, why. Lord, we thank you that because of Jesus' faithfulness, that we are no longer slaves to sin. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would have the freedom 
to bring conviction to our lives where we need it. That we would confess our sin. That we would repent where we have begun walking away from you. That we once again find ourselves at the foot of the cross, laying that sin down and understanding that we can walk in forgiveness and freedom and victory. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would bring comfort where it is needed. That you would help us to understand that the discipline of the Father is really not to cause us to fear, but is actually to affirm within us that we are loved by our Father. If you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've never given your life to Him, surrendered to Him. Here in a moment as we sing together, some of our leaders, our pastors, our elders are going to be in the back at the tables. They would love the opportunity just to share with you how the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ can change your life forever. If you need to come to the foot of the cross or the steps and pray, please come. Lord Jesus, this morning we thank you for your mercy and grace. Overwhelm our hearts as if it was for the very first time. Be honored and glorified as we give praise to you, Lord. Let's stand together and worship. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.